You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to... Almost did it. Almost did it. (laughs) Almost messed it up. Under the Shield presents fight in progress. Very good. You're learning. I I need cue cards. (laughs) We should have somebody here holding up notes for me to read. There you go. The older I get, the more we're going to need those cue cards. Of a flip chart. That's it. Hey, if Biden can do it, honey, I can do it. And I'm not as old as he is. Your approval rating's probably better, though. Good gosh, my approval rating was better than that before I started this company, I hope. Um, Anyway, this is episode 6-0, the big one. It is. Go ahead and make your snide comment there, TomTheBomb.com. Well, before we recorded, I said, we're catching up to you, Susan. We're right behind you. Two more episodes, and we'll be at my... Lovely old age of 62. <laughs> wow. But anyway, I'm Susan Simmons, president and founder of this lovely organization. <laughs> I'm still claiming it. Um, I'll pass it off to Tom before it all it uh. ends and uh, goes bad. But, and of course, my co-host, TomTheBomb.com. Yay. Yay. We need, we need sound effects. We could do that, too, on our end, but we'll get Jay to add I'll them. press the wrong key. <laughs> dogs barking yeah. or something. I'll get the booze instead of the clapping. And we have a really special guest today, someone I have known. How many years, Juice? Oh, my God. Uh, we go way back. We're, we're going to go with several. <laughs> Several decades. <laughs> Neither of us are old enough for that yet. But I mean, I started this company in '92. We had to have met pretty soon after that, don't you think? Uh, yeah, it couldn't have been too far far after that. Because when did you start at the Arsenal? Um. Well, I started there at '08. Okay. So we met somewhere else along the line before I started going up there. But anyway, yeah, actually, I think the Arsenal, you, you had done an academy or a class or something. And, um, then we actually met at, at the Arsenal. That's true. There was a lot of stuff going on up in that part of the world. But anyway, and our dear friend, uh, Vicki, I don't know that we'll say her last name, even though she is retired. Um, well, she's kind of retired. She's retired from the FBI, but she's still doing, I think, some civilian work for them. But um, anyway, I, I know she'll be listening to this because she absolutely, like myself, loves Juice and enjoyed working with him all the years we were around each other. And y'all probably spent more time together than you and I did, didn't you? Um, yeah, probably, but not, not because Vicki chose that, but (laughs) (laughs) because she she was the unfortunate individual that had to have me in her classes. I feel bad for her some days. (laughs) Anyway, Juice, give us your background. Tell us who you are and why in the world I would ever want you on this podcast. All right. Uh, I'm Juice. I uh, have a military background in the Marine Corps, spent several years uh, active duty in reserves. And uh, I also did uh, 
several years in law enforcement, almost 21. And uh, I did uh, pretty much everything from patrol to SWAT. So the reason you probably don't want me on your, your podcast is because I really have no filter. <laughs> Were you ever a motor? No, I, I was uh, smart enough not to do that. <laughs> Good answer. I, I didn't look good in spandex or those killer boots. <laughs> good answer. <laughs> and uh, so tell us a little bit about how you even wound up getting in law enforcement. I don't know this. Story. Oh, my, my God. I, I, the worst thing in, in my childhood was the, the police. <laughs> I wanted absolutely nothing to do with law enforcement. I was... Uh, I was that kid in the neighborhood when you said my name, all the cops rolled their eyes and went, oh, that kid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I was a little delinquent, and uh, somehow uh, some friends of mine at the time whose dad was a cop kind of helped straighten me out a little bit when I was younger. And uh, I went in the Marine Corps, and just by happenstance after the Marine Corps, Somebody made a comment to me that I couldn't work in law enforcement because I was too small. Too small? Yeah, because, you know, at the time I was only five foot seven, 155 pounds. Okay. There's, so, there's smaller people in law enforcement than that, though. Yes, but not so much that small with such a large attitude. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Yeah, so I uh, I wound up getting in law enforcement um, by working in South Carolina for the Department of Corrections in a maximum security death row facility. Now, why did I not ever know that? Because, you know, South Carolina's home for me. Well, probably because I don't air all my stuff to everybody. I, I keep some of it in reserve because you know I'm such a great communicator. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm not just everybody. I'm somebody. <laughs> Where were you? Yeah. Which which correctional facility were you? I was at Lieber Correctional Facility in Ridgeville, South Carolina. Yep. How about that? So how did you like the death row working um, there? You know, I'm I'm a different individual. Uh, no. No. I, yeah. I, I know that's hard to believe. It is. And, uh. I'm a different individual, so um, for me, that that really didn't bother me at all. Um, it's it's a kind of a solemn experience, but you know, I I didn't put these people there. Right. I didn't judge them. I didn't convict them. Right. I didn't commit their crime. So for me, that was just a job. Okay. And, and that, you know, don't get me wrong. Some of the guys that were on the road, they were personable. Mm-hmm. You could talk to them and stuff, but, you know, I, I, I didn't spend a whole lot of time talking to the inmates. Did you find most of them to be somewhat respectful or were they just all a pain in the ass? Uh, well, no. Uh, some of them were a pain. Some of them were your habitual no matter what you did. No matter how respectful you treated them, it didn't matter. Right. And then there was other ones that, you know, no matter what happened, they still treated you with respect. Hmm. But it was kind of a two-way street. You you give them their respect, even though they're incarcerated, they're not animals. 
they may have done things of an animalistic nature. Right. But not animals. If you treat them with dignity and respect, you'll get the same in return. Right. And and you should. Yeah. Any of yeah. them executed while you were there? Uh, well, they what we housed the the uh, death row inmates, and then they made the trip up to Columbia. Columbia. And uh, then they sat in old Sparky and got uh, the blue chain of lightning. So. Yep. <laughs> and I, uh, that place always scared me to ride by there. It, that that's a scary building in itself. Oh yeah. <clears throat> uh, along the river, and, yeah, that was a that was an eerie building to say the least. Uh, any of your people have to go up there during the time you were there? Uh, th- I think there was one or two. It was uh, they had just converted the prison over mm-hmm. to uh, house the death row inmates. I actually took a work crew of inmates over there that were welding and mechanics and, and construction. They actually built the tiers up for confinement with chain link fence and fence posts and welded them in. And wow, <laughs> yeah. So they had lots of weapons with them. Now, how did you wind up in South Carolina? In that job, you weren't from there, were you? No, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, a small, small, tiny coal mine area called West Hazleton. Okay. It's up in uh, northeast Pennsylvania, but I wound up down there because uh, after I got out of the Marine Corps, I went uh, to visit a buddy of mine and wound up staying in South Carolina for a while. (laughs) It's not a bad place. No, not as good as you know, where I want to be, but it's not a bad place. <laughs> so, so tell us how you got out of corrections into the law enforcement side of this thing. It it just evolved. You know, I, I got put on uh, escape apprehension teams and uh, did uh, uh, the emergency response team. And it just evolved from there. I, I never, I don't know. I, I didn't, kind of pursue it per se mm-hmm. it just i just fell into it so you, because i'm such a good criminal as a, a juvenile <laughs> i i became a good cop you know i really enjoyed it <laughs> knew what to look for That's right. knew when they were lying <laughs> yeah exactly because you've but done it. it it also brings a different perspective to uh people when they realize that you know you you have a badge but you're just like they are. You just have a different job than they do. So you left the correctional facility in South Carolina, and where did you go from there? Uh, I wound up coming down to Florida to work in corrections. Okay. And then, then I got into law enforcement on, on, the, on the road side of law enforcement. And uh, I worked for a county facility or, uh, over in a, a county Um for a while and then I worked over at NASA for a while and you know then I I made the trek up to my favorite spot of Alabama. It is a beautiful part of the world up there. So when it is. I, so when I knew you and you were there at the Arsenal, who were you actually employed by? Well, uh, you're not employed by NASA, you're subcontracted by NASA. Okay. So it started out it was uh some security company called Coastal Security. Yeah. And then it's it's changed hands over the years, but, uh, you know, you, you still deal with um, 
the the normal domestic violence and DUI and drugs and um, you know, there's a few times we 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 dealt with uh, pedophiles. They're on the arsenal. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. So you that were- was your territory. That engineers are. Oh, yeah. See, I don't they're know. They're so smart, they're stupid. Yeah. Well, we've met quite a few like that before. Yes. Um, right. And so you worked up there for how long? Uh, I was only there at the Arsenal for a, a few years before I, I made the move over to small town Fife, Alabama. And those trainings, so you were responsible for the range, correct? Well, yeah. Yeah. I was. Uh, kind of responsible for any firearms training that uh, we had to do almost throughout the county. So basically when I would go up there, they would have these, I guess most of those were what FBI firearms instructor courses that I was helping teach a block. Yeah. I I think you all showed, uh, showed up for uh, one of the SWAT basic courses we did. Yeah, I did. I used to just drop in up there and go, hey, y'all want me to teach? <laughs> so I juice yeah. makes it sound. <laughs> yeah. Seeing you at the academy down in Anniston also. Yes. Yes. So and, you you were uh you were like me, you were involved everywhere. And you know, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was. I didn't teach as much as I would like to. I taught a lot more there than I certainly do. In Arizona, currently, of course, COVID hasn't helped us very much with that at all. But, That's true. Um, you know, sitting back now, kind of on the outside of this thing, looking back at what's going on today, what are your thoughts about what's happening with our law enforcement today? Um, you know, I, I see it here in Florida. We have a substation for uh, an agency, a county agency, that is a block from my house. And, and the one thing I've noticed is you see them in the community, but they're not out in the community. I think it's become very impersonal with law enforcement in their communities. You know, uh, I used to get out and go talk to people. I'd go in the stores. I'd, I'd meet people working at the stores, you know. I'd stop at the playgrounds, talk to the kids. I made myself very approachable. Right. And uh, I, I see a lot of them around here that they're they're really not approachable. And it's I don't know if it's because of COVID, um, you know, and everybody on the uh, virus vaccine mandate scared uh, political agenda stuff. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I see they're they're a little more withdrawn than what we used to be. Do you think that's the case up here, Tom? Uh, I do. I, I think COVID has affected law enforcement in that same way up here. Um, I know, though I thought it was great, like when, when Arizona was completely shut down, mm-hmm. man, the freeways, they were so much nicer was, to drive on. It really on. was. I mean, Ain't it was, nobody anywhere. It was great. And, you know, and our command staff was like, hey, we don't want you being proactive right now. Because we, because at the time, they didn't know how bad COVID was going to be. So they... You know, we didn't do traffic stops. So just we, sit at headquarters and play checkers and um well chess, we didn't play like... checkers, but <laughs> but there was a lot of sitting at headquarters and then when a wreck would come out, then we'd go out there. But 
Like if it was a simple wreck, we wouldn't even respond to it. If it was injury related, then we would. See, damn motors trying to get out of work. Oh, well, no you wonder know. you didn't do motors, Juice. That wasn't up your alley. Oh yeah, I, I like to work. <laughs> and, and, I like to ride. <laughs> I do that on my free time, so it doesn't interfere with my work. And, and you dropped a little a little teaser out there to us yesterday when we were talking to you about being on here about your high-speed pursuit? <laughs> oh, yeah. You're running code through town at 25 miles an hour? Yeah, you got to tell us yeah, about that Yeah, how one. did that happen? <laughs> well, so a uh, small-town Alabama mayor um, <laughs> was trying to become the, the more or less the mafia with the police department, and she started dictating to us how we would answer all calls, 1033s, um, and our speed at the time we respond. I had just recently responded to an officer in trouble that uh, was out in a pretty secluded area um, in the county with four gentlemen outside of their vehicle, and they were going to take his gun and kill him. Hmm. So... I responded, and uh, I may have been going over the speed limit slightly. <laughs> Did you say slightly or twicely? <laughs> um, more like thricely. <laughs> so I will tell you, a Dodge Charger will go 157 miles an hour. <laughs> oh, hey, I don't blame you there. Yeah, um, you know I'm. I'm a, a, a very loyal person and uh, I've been shot. I know what it feels like to be shot. Um, he wasn't going down without me being there. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so I got there and then a few days later, the mayor decided she was going to tell me how to be a, a police officer and that uh, I don't respond to phone calls for officers in trouble outside of of her town. Wow. <laughs> um, so we had a call after, after we got overhauled for that one, we had a call of a um, suspicious person outside of her home. Outside the mayor's home? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I responded under her guidelines. And when it was 25 miles an hour, I went 24 miles an hour. <laughs> Lights and siren. Were you yeah, just waving yeah. at people as you went through the town? You know, it's, it's pretty bad when you're running code and somebody on a bicycle passes you and waves. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's one of those great memories. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and her response to that was what? Uh, well, I got there and she said, well, he's gone now. I said, damn, I, I bet you wish I would have got here quicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah did, did she last as mayor um you know what after our whole incident um i think she she resigned her position um and and pretty much went on a mental health break but she got reelected as a councilwoman oh boy yeah, she's a, a real uh, Bible-thumping, 
liberal two-face individual because she portrays herself one way uh, as a God-fearing woman, but I heard her behind closed doors call me every name with every F-bomb you can think of. <laughs> Was that after you didn't make it to the suspicious person? <laughs> Uh, that was after I refused to sign a directive because my attorney told me not to sign anything. Good. Yeah. That that went on for quite a while, didn't it? Yeah. It went on for, uh, almost a year until, uh, we, we were terminated. Me and one other officer were terminated. She was after me, the other officer. She was after the chief because, uh, we wouldn't lie for a substandard person in uniform. And why did she want you to lie for that person? Well, he failed to show up for a, a criminal domestic violence call. Uh-huh. He just called the woman and uh, told her if he came out to her house, they were both going to jail because he was sick of their crap. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then this officer who she said was so outstanding was uh, caught fabricating evidence and lying for warrants and uh false arrests so he resigned from the last uh municipality he worked for jeez now was that your last agency or did you go to work somewhere else no that was the last one that uh that ended my career you know and tom and i've had these conversations we're hearing about some really stupid shit being done and people's careers being lost over them over nothing. And, you know, what year was that, Juice? Um, my last day of work there was July 31st, 2012. So that was before things really went really stupid. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, it seems to have deteriorated from there. That That's the problem. And this, you know, the sad thing is, is there are a lot of people that are probably listening to this who have seen that stuff in their own agencies and as time has gone on, it's gotten stupider and stupider. <laughs> I, you know, and I said, I got to stop challenging all these chiefs and sheriffs because I'll say something like, I just don't think they can get any dumber. And they'll, they, and take, they do. They accept that challenge. Right. Oh, yeah. They look at somebody and go, hold my beer. Watch this. <laughs> exactly. And, and we find a whole new basement level of stupid. Yes. And it's, well, three months after we were let go, um, the, the funny thing is, with my background, um, there was a, a murder uh, just about a half a mile from her house. Oh, boy. And I wasn't there. You, you would think you want a, a SWAT-trained Marine sniper barrel-chested warrior to come in and help out, but that's not the case. <laughs> Did they catch anybody? Yeah, they eventually caught him. There was, uh, I, I don't know what happened during that time frame right afterwards, but there was armed robberies nearby. There was the, the shooting, the murder nearby. It just, it's like the bottom fell out uh, there for a while. Well, you know, when, just like we're seeing now with all these stupid DAs around the country, you know, when the criminals get the word that, that the whoever's running the show which should never be the mayor in the first place um, that, you know, they're not going to do anything or they don't want officers to do their job. Then they're going to step it up and right. have an open door then. Absolutely. And that department probably didn't have how many people in it juice. Uh, 
Uh, we had four full-time officers, including the chief, and we had a few uh, reserve officers. <laughs> wow. Now, the county would have had more. Did did oh yeah? Did you rely on county backup a lot? Um, we it was a pretty good group of guys. Whether you were working in one of the towns or you were county or uh, one of the troopers in the area, mm-hmm. we kind of helped each other out quite a bit. Um, you know, they were on a call; they'd show up. I was on a call; they'd show up. So most of the guys you work with were were pretty decent to work with. There was a few that. I, I don't want them making my burger, but <laughs> there were some that uh, when things got a little sketchy, you were really glad of, of which ones actually showed up. Yeah. Sure. Who was the trooper up in that part of the world then? Uh, well, uh, his, his, his name is Ranger. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. That's his real name. Ranger. Really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know how I missed him. Cause I, yeah, he's a, he's a very large individual. Huh. I'd probably train most of the troopers in Alabama by that time. Um, at least down in Selma, I tried to spend as little time down there as possible. But um, uh, tell me about your frustration over leaving. I remember we talked a lot after that all went down. I, I don't know if it was as much frustration with leaving as it was depression with leaving. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was frustrated with the whole situation. You know, um, I, I had I have so many awards and combinations from the military, from agencies I worked for. It was uh, it was a blow to my ego to be told I was not a um, an excellent officer. I, I took that hard. Why do you think um, she picked on you? Because I wouldn't put up with any crap. Yeah. I was uh, straightforward. You were either doing your job and you were doing it to the best of your ability, or you need to be sitting on the bench watching everybody else do the job. Yeah. And that one officer, he he was a substandard officer. There's no way around it. He, um, he was afraid to serve warrants. Um, he didn't want to be the door knocker. He wanted to be around the back waiting for him to run out even though they were his warrants. Um, it, it was just a, a myriad of things that, that did not make him a good officer. Sure. But uh, the, the depression is what you and I had talked about after I, I lost that career. Yep. Um, that, that career was everything to me. I, I loved being in Alabama. I loved being a, a police officer. And I wasn't just a cop in the community. I actually served. I, like I said, I'd get out with them and talk with them. I'd go check on everybody in the stores. They all had my my cell phone number. If something happened, you know, they knew to just hit the speed dial and just put their phone down. And uh, I'd be on the way. And, uh, you know, the, the depression of, of losing a, a job, a profession that I loved so much was, was pretty tough to deal with. Because you had, had, you know, that's why I... Uh, I, I kept you on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> we did talk a lot. Um, a lot. But how many years on did you have at that point? Uh, all in all, I had uh, almost 21 years. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but did APOS get involved too? And No, she she tried getting APOS involved. Okay. And APOS just laughed at her and said, you're off your rock. 
he did nothing wrong. You know, it's hard to understand people at the top of food chains who gun for their people. Right. Makes no sense. They almost act like money somewhere is coming out of their pockets somehow. I I don't even think it's money issue. It's just you power. Yeah. Ego. Right. Something. And, and the thing about it is, and again, juice was a good cop. He was a go getter, uh, you know, training out on the range and stuff. You were always highly thought of, highly respected. Um, you probably did. I would guess Vicky would even agree that you probably did some of the best training up there. And to take a resource like that, even into a small agency and not utilize it. Right. And then to get rid of it. Yeah. Just doesn't make sense to me. And the sad part is we're uh, seeing it. It's crazy. Well, you know, we've got agencies out here that literally right now are having to put people under IA to keep them at their agency. And that's that's ridiculous. Because it doesn't do a whole lot for morale. Right. Let's put it that way. And it's a large sheriff's department. But I'm really tempted to say the name, but I'm not going to yet. It's not to say I won't later in the show. Um, but the right, re- right. But the reality of it is, is honestly and truthfully, and there are people in this large agency that have IAs that are two and three years old. Some of them are retiring with an open IA. Yeah. How does that happen? <laughs> and you go, and then we wonder why people don't want to do this job. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not a good way for retention. No, it really isn't. Not, not. Well, in- no, it is a good way. Cause these people are trying to leave to go to a different agency where the working conditions are better. Right. But this agency is saying, well, you're under IA now, so you can't leave. You can't do anything. And it's, right. it's bad for morale. Right. Terrible. Good for retention. <laughs> oh, it, well, yeah, that, I misspoke. <laughs> yeah, you, Marines do that periodically. Um, and the, and oh. <laughs> remember, I gave birth to one. Uh, I know. I know. And you'll love this. At the bottom of this organization's tickets, it now has the number for professional standards and says basically – if you feel that you have were treated in a manner that implied any type of racism, you can call this professional standards bureau number. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I get a ticket and I see that at the bottom and I go, huh? Hmm, I bet I can get out of this. Maybe ticket. I can get out of this ticket. <laughs> Hadn't thought about this angle. See what kind of shit I can make up. That's it. And they call and there's the next IA. And that's what's happening. And it's really pretty, it's pretty pathetic if you think about it. Tom and I just taught at um, an academy here uh, for Phoenix Police Department. I will say their name. And uh, (laughs) Juice, we had, we were told two weeks before we went, there would be six. One, two, three, four, five, six in the academy class. We got there. It was week two of the academy. There were five in the academy (laughs) class. Wow. Packing them in there. (laughs) Now, academy Uh, classes, when you were teaching and stuff, we didn't ever have less than 30, 40, usually. Oh, easily. Easily. Yeah. And and we had those at Phoenix when I first started out here, even. Um, I think the class before this, we had about 20. Yeah, so you go in to teach for six or seven hours to five people. We had one Marine. 
who we both feel pretty confident is probably going to be a, a, a yeah, good, good one officer, yeah. if, if they let him do his do the job. Um, and that right there's the problem. Yes, yes. And so it's uh, it's going to be kind of interesting, hopefully, to follow him. Um, do you actually talk to any of the law enforcement officers in Florida and find out from them what's going on and how things are? Yeah, I've I've still have some friends that uh, are still uh, wearing the badge, and I talk to them. They're just waiting for retirement. They're not happy. Um, there's, there's been such a shift and change with, I, I don't want to say the agency per se, but administration, mm-hmm. um, you know, that of course they work for a sheriff's office here and it's, uh, it gets bad around, you know, voting time. Sure. Um, and th- there's a lot of false perceptions of certain individuals because of how they portray themselves on the in front of the cameras and on the TV. Are you talking but, about uh, politicians lying? Is that what you're talking <laughs> about? Well, I'm not going to say they're lying as much as they're um, not telling the truth. <laughs> politicians um, never lie. Tell if they're lying, if their lips are moving. Exactly. Yeah, what's with you being so politically correct today? Um, I'm trying not to get yelled at by Susan. Hey, you won't get yelled at by me. Are you kidding? I'm the one usually stirring this stuff up out here. Um, Look, I I don't want one of those looks like you give, you know, like, oh, bless your heart. (laughs) See, everybody knows me and my bless your heart. Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, Juice out here, I've got a group of them at Phoenix PD, and uh, they know that bless your heart can mean a lot of things. You know, it's all in the inflection. Exactly. So periodically I shoot him a text just out of, for fun. If I hadn't heard from him in a while and I'll just tell him, bless your heart, man, the phone starts ringing. <laughs> how, how did you mean that? With, what, what was the inflection? <laughs> what on did that, we Susan? do? <laughs> did we do something to make you mad? <laughs> no, just checking in. It's a way to get you to yeah, call It's a lot back. easier to be able to tell what you mean, depending on the look you're given when you say it. <laughs> There have there have been some times of that, you know, weren't you in the class um that Vicky taught where the airline pilots were there? Uh yeah, I was in one of those. <laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> that was an interesting and class. And I, I remember them all. Yeah, and you remember one in particular, I'm sure. Um, I'm gonna go with yes, because I know exactly <laughs> who you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that, that's a story for off the air. I'll update you on. Um, there's, okay, yeah, good, good. Yeah. But some of those other guys have, uh, I mean, they've all now retired from the airlines. It was actually the first time that airline pilots as uh, federal flight deck officers had been allowed to go through an FBI firearms instructor course. I still think that's a scary idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've known a few pilots that I'm like, I don't know what they, it's bad enough giving them control of a jet with 200 people or whatever on it, but then to give them a gun also. Yeah. Well, and, and these were a little bit hand selected by Susan, um, for obvious reasons that juice is over there and he knows what I'm talking about. But, um, I think overall they did pretty well in the training, didn't they? Yeah, actually, uh, they all did. And so that's why they were hand-selected. And I think they all had military time, too. 
So it, okay, then yeah, I'll have to give yeah. them some credit. You have to give them credit for that. That's for sure. But you know, I, I think one had Air Force time, so <laughs> I'll, I'll go ahead and say that's military. <laughs> I'll give those guys all the credit. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little more about your experiences in law enforcement, because you know you got a lot of maybe we've got some young people out there who don't know about the good old days. Tom certainly does. He's got twenty-seven years <laughs> on. He he was all he was there during all those good old days. Yeah. Actually, you know, I, it's it's. I don't, I don't know if they're good old days, are they? Well, I think they were. I I remember it being a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it it was fun, but you had you had officer discretion. Yes. Right. Yes. So you know the the kids and and again I I refer back to my own childhood. Um, I I really honestly uh, I was not a good kid growing up. I really wasn't. Um, I had gotten in a lot of trouble. Um, I had been arrested as a juvenile. Okay. Um, I, I did a lot of stuff I shouldn't have done. How my my dad, uh, God rest his soul, I, I don't know why he didn't kill me. <laughs> uh, I'm thankful he didn't. We all but, are. Uh, you know, I, I got in a lot of trouble. And uh, the officers that... Uh, snatched me up they had officer discretion right you know and some of them were good cops and some of them were were just pricks sure you know and the ones that got the most respect out of me were the ones that would uh whoop my butt behind the scene Mm -hmm. and then take me home to mom and dad and i'd get my ass handed to me again (laughs) two butt whoopings so when I started, I tried to emulate, you know, the, 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 the police officers that, uh, treated me with a little bit of dignity. If even, even though I screwed up, you know, Uh, there's one individual that I still talk to today. Um, I I talk to my friends They're They're my best friends in the whole world. And uh, their dad was, uh, one of the cops that used to, to, you know, be after me to do the right thing. So, you know, I, I give him credit for not killing me. Tommy Wallace, great guy. Um, he should have killed me too. Cause I was near his three daughters, which was probably not oh, a good geez. thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, no. And, and we're all very close friends today, but they were, they were like my sisters. Um, but, uh, when I started police and I, I tried to remember the Tommy Wallace's, uh, from back home and how they treated people with respect and dignity. And they didn't have to come down hard on you. They didn't have to put the cuffs on you. They didn't have to throw you in the car and take you in. You know, they would talk with you and they understood, you know, they grew up there. They understood what was going on. Sure. I don't think officers have as much officer discretion anymore as they should, or they could. I I think a a lot of it is just black and white. And I don't think that's fair. When, when do you think that changed? Either one of you. Um, I would say that started shortly after I left five PD back in 2012, 2013. And that's when I moved out here. I landed out here in June of 2012. Um, some from a frustration of things in Alabama, again, people like that mayor and people that really didn't want to help officers 
and um, wouldn't let us come in and do what could have been helpful. And that was very frustrating for me. But I think there was still, it probably was the verge of, of those things changing that they were starting to come down more. We were policing the police. Right. I, I think out here that started to occur gradually mm-hmm. around 2010 timeframe. And then it just slowly kept building and building and building to where we're at now. But really what, what prompted that? Where'd that I, come from? I don't know. It wasn't like, I have no idea. It wasn't like a George Floyd thing that no. launched other things. Right. And it wasn't like officers all of a sudden started being bad. Right. Um, yeah, it's just. But somebody sent a memo out because it went nationwide. Because right. it was like a mindset change. Yes. And and again, right. probably with the exceptions of the union regions of the country, like the New Jersey's, New York, right. places like that, because there have been changes there now, but I don't know that they got sucked up into all of this kind of stuff. But I think it really impacted the industry, which in turn in, impacted families, which in turn impacted communities. And I think it has um, probably begun to change the kind of people that even look to do this job. And now even more so than ever after the George Floyd's and all the other things that have happened. But I I think you just hit that though. Um, I I think some of the changes occurred. um, It's a generational thing. Um, A a lot of the guys that are, are, and girls that are, uh, wearing the badge right now, they weren't the kids that were outside playing with other kids. Right. They were, you know, the video games and, and yeah. all that. And I, I think it became less personable. I don't think the, the social interaction like we had when we were kids was the same thing. True. So when I would have to respond to a call or an incident, I tried to look at it, you know, hey, it's, this is a very poor community. They don't have money to pay for court costs. It's a good family. They just made a mistake. Right. I don't think you, you have that. I think it's been desensitized in, in a generation. Sure. Yeah. And I, and, and maybe it's around that 2010 ish timeframe mm-hmm. as that new generation of that time started to take over, they were looking at how do we, how do we curb this crime that's happening that we haven't been able to get over and so i think some of those changes took out the took away the the option for an officer to to be able to really truly know the people that he serves in the sure but when did community policing come really become a big deal oh but that was around that time frame community policing was big still but i think the departments were placing restrictions on how you had to handle certain calls right which takes away an officer's discretion. Sure. And, you, you know, you wind up, like you were talking about, Juice, you had officers that had discretion. They didn't screw up your future by mistakes you made as a kid because well, of that discretion. Yeah, you know, they, they were good guys. Yeah. And I'd, like I said, you know, I owe some of them, uh, you know, for, for the way I am today, it, it's because of the way they handled the situation when I was a kid being a knucklehead and screwing up. Sure. Sure. But you know, the seventies and eighties, you know, (laughs) different time. Right. Boy, was it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but if you had to teach an academy class now, like you used to do, 
what would you be telling these people? Because, you know, that's kind of the conflict that I run into with some of the stuff because, and it's really funny because one of the sergeants that always has to be in the classroom when I teach at Phoenix, you know, I'll say things and he'll go, that is not something that is endorsed by the Phoenix Police Department. <laughs> well, that's, that's because you get those people that aren't in the profession that are sitting behind a desk yes. saying, these are the calls that we're going to make. And they have no clue what in the hell they're talking about. Right. And have it. They're been completely lost. Yes. They're admin pogues. Yes. They've never been out in the shit. They've never had to draw their weapon. They don't know what it's like to have to interact with the community. Sure. Yeah. You know, and that's that's one of the main problems. Well, it's just it's just sad to me that and and the pendulum swings. This is something I was talking with a client about the other day. I don't understand why the pendulum always has to be at one extreme or the other in law enforcement. We haven't been able to find that middle of the road right. concept. And, but we're still te teaching old archaic principles, which we verified is still being taught at Phoenix by somebody. I uh, haven't had a chance to meet that individual yet, but they're still teaching to keep personal and professional separate. Yeah, there's no way you can do that. It's exactly. impossible. And you You're saw it. You saw it in, in your time around it that that didn't do anything for marriages. That was not helpful for families. Well, it ended my second one. See, <laughs> he's a real cop. He got two. Yeah, first one was a practice marriage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's where I was told everything I did wrong. <laughs> and then what happened with the second one? Um, you know, like I said, I have the greatest communication skills. <laughs> So, did so, she, um, did she only tell you half the things you were doing wrong? No, um, I just wasn't telling her shit. And why was that? Well, okay, this, this, this goes back to the, in the academy or class once when Susan asked a question and I opened my mouth <laughs> and Susan gave me that look with <laughs> bless your heart. <laughs> All right, you're going to have to refresh my memory because there have been a lot of those moments over 30 years. What was the yeah, question? Yeah, that's when they, they made me do that stupid academy. Like, I didn't do enough. And uh, when I went in Alabama, I had to do another one. Right. But uh, you were down there teaching class. And uh, your, your, question, your question came about how does, you know, what's the first question that comes to your mind after you had just rattled off you know, talking to your spouse, your significant other, letting them know what's going on and, and everything else. And you said, what's the uh, first thing that comes to your mind? And I looked at you and I said, how would you know? <laughs> yeah, that was not the smartest thing I said. How long did it take me to regain my composure from fussing and screaming and cussing and everything else? Oh, you are very professional. It didn't take long. <laughs> but uh, then you told me, how would Susan know this? <laughs> I, so, yeah. I'm glad you're refreshing my memory on these things because some of this yeah, stuff I've learned. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's it's just the way I grew up again or the military or just being in law enforcement. But communication, it's, it's very hard for somebody like an alpha male to come home and sound broke down and beaten after a bad day 
and whine and cry to a wife that probably had a crappier day sitting at home, taking care of the kid, the dogs, the house, the laundry. The... So my communication skills, um, they're terrible. There's no way around it. You're trying to say I didn't help you any? Is that what yeah, you're trying to say? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it, it's just that my ego of, of being that alpha dog, yeah. my ego is is the the problems that I have. Gets in the way? Oh, like a brick wall. <laughs> and you don't learn from your mistakes? Is that what you're telling me too? Well, I try to, and I think I do, but then my mouth does open, <laughs> and I've inserted my foot up to my ass cheek <laughs> and find out that talking to someone is different than talking at someone. Yes. But then the ego kicks in, and, you know, yep. it's like, yeah, well, whatever. We had a guy the other day that did that with his foot. Susan was presenting at a hostage negotiator training. Oh, this was funny. And she asked this gentleman, this officer, if he was married. And he said, kinda. No, he said basically. Oh, basically. Oh, basically. Right. <laughs> basically. What the hell? And I looked at him. <laughs> we got a room full of hostage negotiators. And I looked at him. I looked back at Tom. And I walked over to Tom on the stage. And I got my business card. And I walked back over to him. And I said, really, you've sat in this training all this time. And you didn't figure out, I, I call you out on something like that. And I handed you my card. Yeah. So you need to be on my couch. <laughs> you need to be on my couch. <laughs> I need to know what that means. And the guys sitting around were going, you just had to say yes. That's all you had to do. All you had to say was yes. I'm basically yeah. married. I, and we still don't know what that means. Yeah. But that was funny. Yeah, I, I don't, I wouldn't know what that means. <laughs> Tom got to to witness what you saw many times in trainings where you have senior people in there in specialty units and they see oh, me yeah. and they see me come in and you see them slouch down in their chair. Oh, like, Oh God, yeah. what is this? Oh about? God, here we go. And then a few minutes into the intro, they're sitting up a little bit listening. And then by the end, they're practically leaning forward in their chairs um, because they short, short sold me in the beginning. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know it. It happens. We're men. We don't listen very well. Susan um, has a theory. She says that that we were all born stupid. Yes. And <laughs> okay, I'm not going to argue with Susan because I'm afraid of her. And it's biblically sound. It is biblically sound. If you look in the book of Ephesians, where he talks about men and women getting married, the woman gets three sentences of instruction. And the man gets nine. There's a reason for that. Really? Yes. And believe it or not, Juice, I am now officiating weddings out here. I do not understand this at all. I've done about seven. I've got, matter of fact, I'm going to be in your state in July. Where am I going? Uh, um, I don't remember. Sarasota? I think so. I think I'm going to be in Sarasota. Oh, damn. Doing another wedding for a Phoenix officer. And I have to tell you that it's most fun I've had, but I don't understand why I wouldn't want me to marry me because <laughs> well, I, I give them a hard time. I, I get that. and I, I know they want to 
get married and they want to have Susan Simmons go ahead and do their their ceremony, but um, they they need to probably go through your your spouse's course before they do that. Exactly. Yes, and there has been talk of of just that. Most of them usually come bring them in here, so at least I have a have a chance to work with them some and see if I can talk them out of it, and you know. Beg and plead and premarital counseling in our profession, in our profession, that's not a bad thing. No, it's well, not. It's not my profession anymore, but you're still you part know, of in it. That profession. It's, uh, it's not a bad thing. Um, you know, it, it, people don't realize whether you work law enforcement behind the wall or you're working on the road, you're surrounded by a lot of negativity. Oh yeah. That's it. And, and you have to deal with um, when they call you, they love you until you do something they don't agree with. Yep. yep. And then you're the biggest piece of shit that ever walked the face of the earth. And you bring, whether, you bring that home with they, you. Yeah. Whether, whether they know it or not, you know, you could be the asshole writing them a ticket or arresting them today. And you could be the same asshole jumping in front of a bullet for them the next day. Exactly. That's it. But then you wind up taking all that home, and unfortunately, and I'm, I'm, you know, guilty of it, I'd unload at home, you know, with attitude and, you know, always being grumpy and, you know. It, and most of the time not even trying to. to. Yeah, it, it's right. Yeah. It's not a watch me walk right. in here yeah, and do it's, this. It's, you can't control it. And that's what I think where the training is is lacking so even still and i hate saying that here 30 years after we've been trying to get this stuff into departments but it's it's the reality of home is the safe place because if you dump that attitude and that garbage at work your butt's going to get in trouble especially now Mm -hmm. because that's when use of force things start coming into play and that kind of stuff and again we're policing the police now more than we've ever with body cams And all of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, when I talk to people like you who go, gosh, I will still wish I was out there. Honestly and truthfully, it's like I told you the other day, I, you'd have gone to jail, Juice, if you'd have stayed in this profession and we're doing it you know, now to police uh, the way you knew to police. Yeah, and I, I agree. Um, you know, I, I used to laugh and joke and say cameras are not our friends. But... Even though they're not, we just had an incident here in the state where a sergeant turned around and put his hand on a female officer's throat when she was trying to pull him back and de-escalate a situation. Whoa. Um, so I'm on the fence about the camera thing. Yeah. But situations like that, um, you know, I hate to be the Monday morning quarterback after watching the video. Sure. Right. But there is absolutely no reason in in any officer, especially in a supervisory position, right. you need to turn around and put your hand on another officer's throat in, you know, an act of aggression. Sure, sure. I, I have issues with that. Male or female. I, exactly. it, I don't have an issue with the fact that it's a female. It's any officer. Right. Well, this this it, it's kind of disturbing to see the video. He's a very large sergeant uh-huh. and she's a small female. And it's one of those videos that. And and you know me, I, I just sit there and look at it and go, I wish that some bitch would put his hands on me. Yep. What what's it, uh, it, what's happening? It would be a free for all. What's happening with that? Oh, he just got put on desk duty. 
for an, uh, I assume while they investigate? I, you know, I, I don't know. I seen it, looked at the video several times. Uh, I, I think they have them in IA, but, uh, I would hope, you know, I, it, it hasn't been updated yet. We had something else take over our news here mm -hmm. um, a short time ago. Uh, an 18-year-old kid at the, the local high school decided to try and jump on a jogger and choke him with a house rope. Oh, he was just misunderstood. Yeah, until the jogger turned around, put him on the ground, and held him with one hand and called the cops. There you go. <laughs> so... Well but, you know, in defense of body cams, too, and, I, and I'm like you, I do have mixed feelings about them, but I do think they have saved a lot of officers' jobs in regards to where people say officers have talked to them rudely or treated them badly or called them names. Oh, absolutely. That kind of stuff. Then you just hit rewind and play over and over and over again. I do have issues with them, and this is where our, our mutual friend, Ron Kiker, you remember Ron? Ah, <laughs> and we need yeah, to have him on the podcast. Yeah, it, it's really funny. I um, After I got out here, I was asked to come to Snowflake, Arizona. Who the hell knew there was a Snowflake, Arizona? What were they thinking <laughs> sending Susan Simmons to Snowflake, Arizona? Sweetie, I've been there twice and taught. And guess what? I got oh, Ron Kiker. I got Ron Kiker to Snowflake, what? Arizona to teach. Sure did. There's no way. Yes. We both proudly, proudly have that on our resumes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. And, uh, but this is where Ron Kiker has been helpful with several of mine. Um, and that is where, you know, the body cam doesn't get the peripheral of things no, happening. No, absolutely not. Or, and if you can't slow it down frame by frame by frame, you can misunderstand some things that have happened. And that's uh, an area that that he has great expertise and respect in. And right. so it's, uh, we've had him um, come out and, and I've had him actually reach out to a couple of clients. One was up in Washington state and he was able to help her when I've forgotten. She put, had to put her hands on a handcuff subject in a hospital that spit on her or something. Um, but you know, the body cam, people have to understand it's not an end-all, be-all. Right. And I think that's part of the misunderstanding. Kind of like when the dash cams came out, same thing, too. Mm -hmm. They didn't necessarily capture everything that was going on right. either. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this sergeant and wonder if he's got enough time on to retire. Probably. Well. He's been doing it 21 years. Yeah, we probably so. need to recommend he go ahead and, <laughs> and hit that that retirement button. Either that or he needs to come out here to Gilbert to your couch. <laughs> yeah, we can get him out here. <laughs> Absolutely. You can yeah. use your red man yeah. stick on him. That's right. <laughs> oh, my God, the red man stick. Yes, here it is. I know. And like I said, I think you're probably the one who gave it to me. That, uh, I'm not going to tell you where that came from, but it's a good thing you still have it. <laughs> it's, it's probably more of the government property I have that I shouldn't have. <laughs> um, I, I cannot confirm nor deny that. <laughs> yeah, somebody's probably looking for that still in an inventory somewhere. Yeah. Um, but you know, you need, you need to get Tom and I down to Florida to do, to do some trainings down there. 
Um, you know, if, if I still had the connections I used to have, it, it would be a, a slam dunk. But, uh, you know, it, it just, I, I don't, I know very little anymore of the people. I know a few and they're all just sitting down. They're, they're being road officers right sure. now. Sure. Well, and that's, you know? that's the sad part. I think we've let too much, too many of our people like juice who are outstanding trainers, instructors have great backgrounds and stuff. We're not utilizing them even at the, even at the training level in the academies. Cause I know you, you'd be like me. You donate time and go in there and teach. Funny thing, Susan, I tried to do that. Really? I contacted the, uh, Academy down here mm-hmm. and, uh, it, it, it kind of made me laugh. They're like, send us your resume. I sent them my resume and they were like, oh my God, yeah, we want you to teach and blah, 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 blah. I said, okay. I said, I'll do it for nothing, you know, during the academy classes. Yep. And they said, okay, well, send us your certifications. So I sent them all my Vicki Davis certifications, all my South Carolina certifications. They looked at me and said, oh, well, you don't have a Florida teaching certificate. What about that? And I started laughing. I said, you do realize I have FBI certifications. Doesn't matter. Well, they don't supersede anything the state of Florida does. And I started laughing. I said, you guys go through a one-week class and you can teach everything. I've been through all these classes and I can teach all these classes. Yep. Um, Forgot about Florida. Yeah, we're going to pass. Yeah. There's a I lot said, of okay. states that are like that. There are a lot crazy. of states like that. California is, is another big one. Is it really? Yeah. That's just nuts. Yeah, I don't understand that whole thing. Well, and again, law enforcement's got to stop swinging this pendulum from one <laughs> end to the other. And why would you turn down free training God. from somebody with this, right. those certifications? This is the stuff that's got to change. And I But don't they're, they're treating it as a business. Yes, yes. And and that's a problem. Sure. And there's politicians running the businesses. Right. Absolutely. That's a big problem. Yeah. And I don't know that we'll ever get that out of no. it. But. No, probably not. But I mean, they're the ones that are at the academy now. They're teaching, and they have two and three years experience in law enforcement, and they're teaching the rookies. Yes. I don't agree with that either. I, I think you need to have some more experience to be able to teach at the academy level. Sure. And not you know, so much I, emphasis it, on classroom. Right. Right. And it, it's, I, I don't think they're being told there's people that you deal with. They're no different than you are. You're no different than they are. Sure. You know, and it's, it's very easy for anyone to wind up in jail. Yes. If you just read everything in black and white and be done with it. Right. And I think that's a big problem in the academies now is they're focusing on the educational part of it, teaching you like you're in college, but they're not teaching you how to deal with people. Exactly. And that's, and I agree. It's going to get a lot of officers hurt. It is. And that sadly is what happens in law enforcement is it takes something bad happening for the pendulum to swing back the other direction. And that's, um, Sadly, I'm afraid that's what we're going to see a lot of, not just out here where we are, but everywhere in this country. Right. And it's it's a shame. And, you know, maybe, maybe you ought to run for office, Juice. 
Oh, you know I can't be a politician. <laughs> I'll come run your campaign for you. <laughs> I've been asked. I was asked many years ago to run for governor of California. I said, if I'd known Arnold Schwarzenegger could win, I might have run for governor at one point. Now I yeah, ne- now yeah. I'd never get elected. But um, but you know we like to have people like you on this show that can talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think there's too much talk sometimes sugarcoating things. Right painting it out to be one way, talking about the way it used to be. And and I'm not saying we had to police that way forever. There was right. stuff that shouldn't have been done. Right. Yeah. We all know that for various reasons. But again, this kinder, gentler, let's be social workers approach is not, there, there's got to be a balance. You know, it's funny. I was, I was thinking about this the other day. God has stuff just pop in my head periodically. And it was listening to that, dumbass DA up in New York and letting everybody out how, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we got to focus more on mental illness and stop putting these people in jail and all that stuff. And I thought, you know, if the approach was let police do their jobs, make the, get them in custody. Now society is safe from that one. Now maybe we need the reform at the judicial and detention level, right? not at the enforcement level. Because it's law enforcement that's going to get the people off the streets. And if they're mentally ill, then we need another avenue. You know, I think one of the worst things we did was closing down all the psych hospitals and the sanitariums. Now, were they being run in the best environments? Absolutely not. But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You improve that part of the system. And so really the reform needs to come from the judicial side and the detention side of how you deal with those people, unlike how you deal with the just plain sociopaths and serial killers, rapists, murderers, whatever they are. But instead we're harping on the people that can get those people in custody. So we're looking at it from the wrong angle. And to me, that's the change that needs to happen. Right, because what kind well, of well, you're you're running into certain things now that it, it's the same people that are sitting behind those desks that have not been in the trenches, right? That are making those calls, sure. And it, it's it's limiting, it's tying the hands of law enforcement, whether it's on the road, law enforcement behind the the wall, law enforcement, sure. They're tying the hands all the way around, sure. But you know, and you saw it, I'm sure, when you were in detention in South Carolina, but. You know, somebody mentally ill does not need to be in the same prison system. We're not Correct. We're not benefiting them. We're not. But just cutting them loose on the street in the in the, the right. Either. Yeah, no, that's just causing the problem. And continue. Yeah, and you know, you've got that that woman in New York that was shoved in front of a subway by somebody who was mentally ill. Again, that doesn't bring her back. That we identify that was mental illness, not just criminal behavior, and. That is where the public needs to be in an uproar, not at the police. And hopefully we can begin to see some changes. I don't know what it's going to take, but I just know the frustration level at the law enforcement end of it, the family side of that with everything negative that's happened. And the bottom line to it is our law enforcement are the only essential element in our society, truthfully. When you think about it, it's one of the things – and I know you've heard me say it in class too, Juice, that without police in our cities, deputies in our counties, and troopers on our highways, um, nobody can leave home 
without an arsenal of weapons. Fortunately, in Arizona, that's not an issue. <laughs> Jusha, right. you'll love this. When I moved out here, I went and asked, who do I need to see about a concealed carry permit? <laughs> and they're looking at me like, what? I said, you know, that little concealed carry thing. And they're like, Susan, welcome to the Wild West. You can carry <laughs> what you want, when you want, where, where you, you want. want. Yeah. At, at least for now. Yes. That may be changing. Um, you know, but we've got you know, to get back um, to this. I, I think part of the problem, and uh, I think it's an easy resolve, is during these uh, uh, academy classes, they need Susan Simmons classes. <laughs> and not just a, a quick, you know, four, eight-hour thing. I mean, they they need to understand there there's people with mental health issues. Mm -hmm. There's people that are in uniform that are going to need help. Yes. So I think there should be emphasis on that. And that's what we're trying to push. And again, you understand the garbage can, the psychological garbage can we talk about that is so prevalent these days with people from with their personal issues, their professional stuff all going in one garbage can. Nobody's teaching what it looks like or what to do with it. No, they just shovel over a dumpster and they say, here, fill this up next. That's it. And that's what departments and organizations have to understand. We got to stop caring more. We care now more about our equipment and maintaining it than we do the people behind the equipment. And I was more concerned about going home at night. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> at the end of my shift. Right. Yep. You know, instead of, oh, I, I scratched the car or. Oh, you know, I, I didn't wash the dust off the vehicle. Sure, sure. And that's still going on today is is more it's emphasis crazy. on cleaning and maintaining equipment. And that will never be a plus for law enforcement ever. <laughs> so we're, you know, we're still plugging away. I've been here 30 years trying to do it. I'm not planning on stopping anytime soon. And, um, you know, because of being able to meet people like you, and be in trainings with people like yourself, Juice. Um, it's part of what keeps me motivated and going because I know the good people that are out there. I know the things that are happening to them and their families. And they need a resource like Under the Shield. And we'll keep and I going agree. as long as we can keep going. You know, people, some people may not realize it. They, they may think, Oh, I'm going to call. I'll get a recording. I, I know I've called you at, oh my God, zero dark 30. Yes. And you always answer the phone. Yes. So they need to understand that, that it, it's either you or somebody on your team that is answering the phone. Yes. And that will not change as long as I'm breathing anyway. And which leads us into the sector of giving our phone numbers out. Um, our toll-free number is 855-889-2348. If you hit extension 1, that number you dial is what pops up on the stress coach's phone. We do this completely anonymously, which is the strongest form of confidentiality, which I think gets confused. Um, but we won't even have your phone number, so should you get disconnected from us, you've got to call us back, <laughs> please. Uh, but we're not going to ask you your name or who you work for. We may ask what region you're in. If you want to sit down with a coach face-to-face, -face, um, then you'll have to let us know where you are so that we can get them to sit down with you. 
or you can do it via Zoom. You can text us. Uh, my cell number is 334-324-3570. And again, you can block your number, whatever you want to do that makes you feel safe to reach out. We encourage families to reach out to us. You're the first line of defense to see the issues that are coming. And um, we can give you some resources, some tips. I actually had a a mother reach out to check the resource. I thought it was kind of cool. She called the 855 number and I answered and she told me her son was in law enforcement and that he had had one partner commit suicide, just had another one killed in the line of duty over a very short period of time. And she just wanted to verify the resource and I commended her for that. Yes. And said, absolutely. That way she could tell him exactly what it was going to look like when he called and I'm still hoping to hear from that officer. Uh, Tom, you want to give your information? Sure. You can reach me at 480-861-6574 anytime. And I think Jay puts these in the down in the yeah, I think he does little thing with email. our email and our website and all of that stuff. And Juice, we just want to thank you for taking time out of your your busy day there in Florida <laughs> near near the Cape. And uh, thank you again for your service to this country, both overseas and here at home. And uh, honored to call you a friend and just appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast today. Yep, anything for you, Susan. <laughs> uh, you know I love you, and you'll always be one of my favorites, mine and Vicky's. And hopefully we'll get to Florida one day and we can sit down and and have a yingling since I can't get them out here. <laughs> I'm not a big beer drinker, but I will drink yingling with you. And uh, we, ah. <laughs> we just thank yeah. our, our audience for listening in. And let us know what you want to have on this podcast. Let us know if you know someone that you'd like to have on here. Uh, send us their name. You can email us, call us, text us, whatever. But we want to cover the topics that they want to cover. Uh, thank you for the sacrifices you make and the families. We appreciate you and all you put up with in this crazy lifestyle. God bless you, your families, and this great nation that we live in. Call us if we can help you. Stay safe. <laughs>